people are ready for the word of the Lord. Amen. Brother McLeod, come and preach the word of the Lord to us. I really believe that the Lord has brought this man of God to preach to us today, and we're going to get with him. Praise God. How many people love the preaching of God's word? Amen. Brother McLeod, take your liberty in Jesus' name. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. What an honor it is to be here with you this morning. Well, the scripture says that God orders our steps. Now, I could give you other scripture that I think would tell us that there are times that the Lord would inspire or direct our plans, but the thing about a step is you can't step too far ahead at a time, especially if you're vertically challenged like, like me. So when the scripture says the Lord orders our steps, it just means those little, small, incremental movements. The things that didn't necessarily require a whole lot of planning. Now, I trust if you're trying to buy a house or plan your yearly vacation, you, you, you just a little bit into the future. I'm going to take a guess that you don't put too much consideration into your next step. And so when the scripture says the Lord orders our steps, he's talking about those things that are seemingly insignificant. We don't plan for. And such is, is this day. And uh, your, your pastor and I were messaging the other day, and it was my intent just to try to get together with him when we were in the city, and now here I stand. But I tell you, I think I stand here in the will of the Lord. I have such high respect for him and appreciation for his ministry and how the Lord has used his voice to bless the body of Christ around the world. And I trust you know this. Let me just offer my observation. What I appreciate so much about your pastor is I have observed over the years our tendency as we as Christians and churches move into a form of stability or even professionalism, sometimes the tendency of our church cultures and our conferences becomes very disconnected from real life. And I have so appreciated the, the voice of Brother Prado to the apostolic movement and how some might say, and I don't mean this for lack of a better term, I don't mean it to sound disrespectfully, but, but simple preaching. But it's that simple preaching which meets people where they're really living. And I have come to appreciate that so, so much. And I give him high honor today. And I want you to know you're blessed with the leadership God set over this house. I've heard a lot of people say things and present things that you walk away thinking, wow, that once I get time with a dictionary and I figure out the fullness of what they were just saying, I'm sure I'll appreciate it. But and so I honor them highly. You know, we pulled up this morning and one of my sons, I won't tell you which one because they wouldn't like me pointing them out. But one of them said, this doesn't look like a church. I thought, my Lord, I spent 10 years as a church planner. All my kids were born in a church plant. And has it been so long that they have forgotten? You know, this season of our lives, we, we base out of a great church in Indiana. It's, uh, we're here in the next few months moving into a 1,500-seat sanctuary. It's an 80,000-foot complex. I thank God for it. 
and I rejoice at his blessings. But I'm thankful that my story didn't start there. And uh, I can tell you about four people sitting in the living room. And, uh, in fact, I was with a church planner here a few weeks ago somewhere, and uh, they've got an old building. It needs some attention. And he was kind of feeling bad about it because he knew where we based at him. And I said, look, there's a lot of people who might come through here and not appreciate the building you're in. But I said, I'll tell you one person that's never going to look down on a building. And that's somebody who started in a living room. And so I feel very much at home today. Uh, we spent 10 years pastoring as church planners. It started with four in a living room. And by the grace of God, by the time we had left uh, Halifax, a beautiful city on the east coast of Canada, uh, there was a thriving congregation of upwards of 150. The Lord had given us a $1.7 million building. We didn't pay for it. Uh, it was a gift from God. And uh, we renovated it debt-free. And that church continues to grow under great leadership today. I just feel very much at home today, and I'm grateful to be here. And uh, this morning when I was spending some time with the Lord, seeking direction about uh, this day, I really was kind of wavering between two different thoughts, and then your pastor called and asked me about Tuesday evening, and uh, I felt very good about that, and it gave me great peace to, to move in uh, the direction I felt strongly about today, and then I'll revisit the second part on Tuesday evening. I want to talk to you today about process, about process, and uh, I'm going to speak a word that will have application to this church body, and it will have application to many of you that are in the process of growing as individuals in your walk with God. I want to talk to you about process. So uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter number 7, we'll read verse 14, and then we'll jump over to Revelation 17, verse 14. Isaiah 7 and 14. The word of the Lord says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The Lord himself shall give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now looking... Revelation 17, verse 14. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For He, this is Jesus now, He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. Revelation 19 and verse 16 would reiterate this again. He, talking about Jesus, hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. I know you're thinking, what does process have to do with any of this? Well, you, we'll get there. We'll get there. Would you lift your hands one more time? Would you lift up your voice? And let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray the spirit of wisdom and revelation over your people today and into this house. I pray there would be a divine unction from heaven. I pray that there would be a supernatural utterance. I pray that you would confirm your word with a great outpouring of your spirit. Let there be a mighty demonstration of the power of God. Come on, would you lift up your voice? Just give them a, an ovation of praise right now. 
This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus, you're worthy. You're worthy, oh God. You're worthy, oh God. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. The Lord bless you. You can be seated today. We're talking about process. We read from Isaiah, the seventh chapter. This comes from what we would call a messianic prophet. He spoke to us of the future in the prophetic vein of the coming of the Messiah. Now you've got to understand this is happening 700 years before the birth of Christ. Here comes this Hebrew prophet, and by the moving of the Spirit, he begins to speak to them with great clarity of a promise that has been hovering in the atmosphere since the opening chapters of Genesis. And what, what an amazing promise this is, because when Messiah comes, he's going to rescue them from all wickedness. He's going to free them from all oppression. It's not quite going to happen the way they perceived it would happen. He's going to come, and the writing of Isaiah 35 gave us this messianic prophecy. He's going to open the eyes of the blind. He's going to unstop the deaf ear. And so with this messianic prophecy, hope is inspired, and it causes him to peer into the future in search of this coming reality. And... As you could expect, there's a little excitement in this because this is the king they've been waiting for. This is the king they have wanted for so long. And so it's quite likely that when the Lord in his sovereignty would move upon the prophet and inspire this word, son, it might have been a little bit perplexing. When the Lord would move upon the prophet to speak of a child, it perhaps was a little bit difficult to comprehend because they were looking for a king, and a king he was. But the method by which he would choose to come would prove to be a little bit difficult for his people to comprehend. The inability of the people to embrace the process of God's choosing would keep them from perceiving the reality of the promise in that moment. He said, for unto us a child is born. And now the reality is, is the blood flowing through that little seven or eight pound boy is the same blood that's going to heal every cancer, that's going to heal every disease. But here's the reality. When you're holding that child in your arms and you're rubbing the soft skin of an infant boy, it can be a little bit difficult to see the reality of the king in that form. But the prophecy said what it said. He said upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth forever. He said of the increase of his kingdom and government, there's going to be no end. What he was saying is when this kingdom comes, nothing's going to stop it. Amen. Amen. So it's with joy that this prophecy comes to the people of God because they've been waiting for this king. But no doubt we have to be reminded today of this fact that when the Lord starts talking about a child and a son, this is what we've got to reconcile. This is probably not what they had in mind. 
And so 700 years later, the Bible tells us about a young virgin engaged to a man named Joseph who's visited by an angel one night and she's a little bit troubled by the coming of the angel. Her heart is stricken by fear for what cause has God sent this angel to me this night? He says, oh, you don't got to be troubled, Mary. I've come because you have found favor with God. Ooh, what an exciting proclamation, because isn't that what we want? We, we want God's favor on our life. We want God's blessing on our life. We want God's affirmation and validation on our life. Mary, I've come here with a word for you to let you know God's chosen you. Out of all the women on the earth, out of all the young girls he could have picked, out of all the ones that God could have chosen, Mary, he's chosen you. You're about to be found with child. And this child, his name's going to be called Jesus. And he's going to save this people from their sins. This child that's about to be born from you is the one that Isaiah spoke of. I know you've been waiting from the foundation of the world. I know it's been 700 years since Isaiah said it. But Mary, now's the time. And you're the woman. That sounds exciting. But you know what Mary says? She says, well... I just got one problem with this. How's this going to be seeing I know not a man? And I don't want to get too graphic with you today, but I trust you understand biology. This is what Mary's saying. She's saying, I've been around long enough to know how this works. There's only one way a child can be born. And in case you overlook this little detail, I'm a virgin right now, and I plan on being a virgin until the day I get married. So you explain to me how a virgin can be with child, because I want to be a part of the prophecy. I want to be a part of God's plan. I do want God to use me. I do want to be part of what God's doing in the world. But I'm not willing to surrender my purity to be a part of the prophecy. And the angel reassures her, no, 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 Mary, I'm not asking you to let go of it. In fact, it's your purity that's qualified you for this in the first place. Because the prophecy said, a virgin shall be with child. Hey, Mary, it wasn't your ability to sing. It wasn't your ability to teach or preach. It wasn't how well you dressed. What qualified you in the eyes of God was the purity you lived with. So I'm not asking you to surrender your purity. I'm not, I'm not asking you to let go of your values. You don't have to let go of your morality. In fact, hold on real tight. Because how this thing's going to happen is different than how every other thing's ever happened. For you, Mary, you're going to be overshadowed with this power from another world. And what's going to be conceived in you is going to be conceived by the Holy Ghost. He's telling her what's happening. You is not a natural thing. You're not going to be able to measure it with natural metrics. It's not going to make sense with logical thinking. Mary, you're just going to have to surrender your reasoning and your logic to the supernatural overshadowing of my spirit. Well, Lord, if that's the case, be it unto me according to thy word. 
If I don't have to let go of my purity, if I can keep being who I was made to be, then being unto me, I want to be everything you want me to be. I want to do everything you want me to do. Whatever you say, let it be in my life now. And so the story would tell us that she's found with child. Time would pass. And she would give birth to that boy. He would be born. I know we, we like to depict him as this infant child in a wooden manger under some stable. But the reality is by the time we get to the narrative of the opening chapters of Luke, he's probably closer to two years of age. I know this because when Herod issues the decree for the slaughter of every male child, he puts a little important detail. Every male child to and under. Now I trust you know this today, but he was not interested in a genocide. He had no interest in killing every male child to and under. His intent was to kill one child. But if he couldn't find the one with certainty, he was willing to go to such lengths that he would kill them all in hopes he could just find the one. Now think with me, because what is it about a two-year-old boy who's walking around mommy's living room? He's not yet potty trained. He can't fully form his sentences. He's not real good at feeding himself without making a mess on the floor. What is it about a two-year-old boy that would be such a threat to a man who has an entire military at his disposal that he would go to such lengths? I'll tell you what it is. It was this old prophecy from 700 years. It was this old prophecy that said of the increase of his kingdom and his government, there shall be no end. Well, I know. I know he's just a two-year-old boy in Joseph's house right now. I know he's just a two-year-old boy that Mary's still rocking to sleep at night. But this is what you've got to understand. He's not going to stay a two-year-old boy forever. That prophecy has already declared his end. That prophecy has already told us what the picture looks like at the end of the story. And I know that's what it looks like right now. But it's not always going to look like this. Because that two-year-old boy is going to become a young man. And that young man's going to assume a throne. And when that man assumes that throne, Every other kingdom's going to crumble at his feet. So this is what Herod knows. Herod knows I've got a good little life right now. I'm ruling all these people right now. But I know the prophecy that's resting on that boy. And when that boy becomes a man and that man assumes his throne, everything I've built for myself is going to be displaced. But there's a process here. Now, let me just take a little time out and tell you why your pastor's talking to you about this right here. I know you think you got it all figured out. But you know, here's the reality. That two-year-old boy, in his infancy, he doesn't have the ability to comprehend the reality of what's going on around him. So thank God he had a daddy who could hear from God. Because one night when Joseph put his head on a pillow, the Lord sent an angel by way of a dream to say, Joseph, you need to pack your bags, get your family, and you need to make your way down here. And you're going to stay there until I leave. tell you to leave there. 
See, in this season of the process, you need somebody who can hear from God for you. Now, you, now listen, you, you, you can't live your whole life like that if for the rest of your life it takes your pastor always hearing from God for you, then you've got a problem. But there is a part of the process when you've not come to the place of maturity to hear for yourself that you do need a covering. You do need an authority who can hear from God and say, hey, this is what we've got to do. This is where we've got to go. But I know you say, but preacher, he was God manifest. Oh, I know he was God manifest in the flesh. But he had chosen to subject himself to the limitations of a human life. So that's what this is about. This is about Joseph saying, I'm hearing what you can't yet hear. I understand what you can't yet understand. And I'm trying to move you through the process so you can get to the place of maturity where you can hear for yourself. And it's about this point in the narrative. You think, man, the story's getting really good. I can't wait to hear what's next. And there's silence. For 10 years. No detail. We don't know what's happening. We we, we, know nothing. And the next time we see him, we find Mary and Joseph walking home from Jerusalem after the time of worship. Now, I'm a father of three boys. Carson, I don't know how they did this, buddy. But they get a whole day's journey out of Jerusalem before they come to the realization he's not even with them. Now, I got a, this is a good son right here. I want you to know God gave me a, a good firstborn right here. But he ain't the Messiah. Now, one would think, my brother, if you'd been visited by an angel, and you really believe the child that came out of that womb was he whose blood would heal the world. You might have a little bit more sense of diligent care towards that boy. But somehow they get a whole day's journey back towards home before they come to the realization he's not even there. And the Bible would tell us they start looking among their acquaintances and their kinfolk, their family and their friends. Do you know where he is? Have you seen him? As if to say, hey, I know I neglected my parental responsibility. I'm just hoping you might have picked up the slack. I've not seen him. I I don't know where he is. Well, what do you do when you lose something? You go back to the last place you you saw. So they said, we got to get back to Jerusalem. We we, we must have left this city without him. And they start working their way back. But it's not in the story. But I'm a little bit of a narrative guy today. So let me just present my logic to you. One day home, one day back. But the Bible says it was three days before they found him. So by my calculation, they spent a whole day looking. Now, I can't prove it, but here's my theory. It's quite likely they looked where all the other 12-year-old boys were. I walked back into Jerusalem. 
and I see a playground, and there are those, those young preteens kicking a soccer ball. They're out there playing basketball. Mary and Joseph make their way over. Hey, have any of you, have any of you kids seen Jesus? We, it's been three days since we've seen him. I, I don't know where he is. No, I, we've not seen him, but there's another park over there on the other side of town. Sometimes kids play basketball over there. Why, why don't you go check it out? So they make their way to the other side of the city. Hey, have you all seen Jesus? We're just, we're trying. No, I don't know. But, you know, if you, if you go down in the corner there at Joey's house, there's a video game club. They just stay up all night playing video games. So they go down there. Have you all seen Jesus? No. And they're going through all the things that all these other 12-year-old kids in the world are doing. And they don't find them there. But you know where they find them? They walk back into the temple. And here is that 12-year-old boy. We... We've not heard anything about him for 10 years. Last time I read, he was a two-year-old boy in the arms of his mother. So, hey, now I'm not trying to shame no parents. So, listen to me. I get, I get, they forgot him. But evidently, they've been doing something right. Because when they left him, that 12-year-old boy, on his own volition and of his own will, you know where he went? He walked himself into the temple. And he found himself some elders, some doctors. And he said, hey, I'd like to talk to you about something. And this is what I want to talk about. I know everybody else is talking about Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors and what's happening on CNN and Fox News. But I want to talk to you about the Scripture. And here, here comes Mary in this frantic display of emotion like any good mother would. She's been concerned. She's been troubled about her child. And why have you dealt this way with us? Do you have any idea how you've made us feel? Do you have any idea how concerned we were? Oh, and can you imagine the guilt working through that woman when she knows she's responsible, entrusted by God to steward this messianic promise? And this 12-year-old boy just looks back at his mother. Well, don't you know? I have to be about my father's business. Weren't you the one that was visited by the angel? Now, let me talk to you for a minute. Because there's a lot happening right here in the story. This is what I call the moment of missional maturity. This is the point in Jesus' humanity where he comes to the realization of who he was. He'd always been it. But at a two-year-old boy running around Mary's living room, he's not yet of a place of cognitive ability where he can comprehend the fullness of who he is and that he has literally been born to die. And now he's looking at that mama saying, weren't you the one? Didn't you talk to the angel? Didn't you get the word from God? Weren't you overshadowed by the spirit? You know this, mom. But now I know it too. And this is where a lot of people get it wrong. Because this is about the season where you start hearing from God for yourself. You don't need Joseph to do it all for you. And so you say, well, I know pastor said this, but God told me this. Well, I know pastor preached that, but this is what I feel. 
And so there's this little bit of will rising up in the man that presses back on the will of the authority God's put in his life. And here's the struggle. Both are speaking truth. Mama, don't you know? Well, yeah, I do. Now, here's the fact. The blood of that 12-year-old boy could have been spilled on a cross and healed every disease that the world has ever known. Because there was nothing about his identity and there was nothing about the blood that changed from a moment when that 12-year-old boy was standing in that temple and a 33-and-a-half-year-old man died on the cross. But I submit to you, the problem in the story would not have been at Calvary. In fact, the problem would have been we never would have got to Calvary. We would have got hung up in Gethsemane. Because passion can lead you prematurely towards your destiny. But it's maturity that will keep you in the hard place and doing the right thing. Oh, okay, yeah, Jesus, all right, you're 12, you know who you are, you know what you got to do, you feel this sense of responsibility, that's great. You know what the problem is? I submit to you today with great confidence as a father of three sons and a few years of ministry under my belt that you put that 12-year-old boy in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you know what he would not have done? He would not have got down on his knee. He would not have said, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done, not because he was bad because he was an ordinary 12 year old boy who was still in the process of maturity and what does any 12 year old boy want he wants comfort he wants luxury and when things get hard you know what he wants he wants his mama I know you feel it, Jesus. I know you know who you are. I know you're eager to get there, but you're still in a process. And so the Bible says he goes home and is subject unto them. Because you can have two things. Both are right. But somebody's going to have to submit. And it's only six or seven words later in the narrative of Luke 2. After it says he was subject unto them. He goes home and he submits to mama and daddy. The Bible says, and Jesus increased. Because there's only one path to increase. And it's called submission. I know, listen. I, I, I get it. You, you, you can find yourself six dozen preachers in the Bay Area that are going to talk to you about submission. You can find yourself one of 250 YouTube pastors that are going to talk to you about submission. But let me just tell you what's happening in our religious world right now. Leader after leader coming out. Sexual sin, moral failure, money issues, one after another. And now, now you get one guy, he gets kicked out of a church for a moral failure, and they just go to another church that, 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 that tolerates it. It's sickening. 
But I'll tell you why that stuff thrives in the Christian world today. It thrives because there's no accountability. And because there's no accountability, no submission is required. I'll tell you what submission does. Submission forces you into the press where God starts working some things out of you. Oh, Jesus, I know. See, Jesus... You are who you are, and you're going to do what you know you need to do. But in your humanity, there's still a process of maturity that you've got to walk through. So I know you feel called. I know you feel anointed. I know you've got gifts and power working inside of you. But you know what you need to do right now? Now that you've heard, now that you know, go home and submit. Go home and serve. And the Bible would say he increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He grew in his natural man and he grew in his spiritual man. And God was working some things out of the flesh. I'm telling you, I've watched a lot of people. I've seen a lot of churches. I've watched a lot of lives and ministries get shipwrecked. And it was a legitimate anointing. It was a legitimate promise. It was a God-ordained future. It was great prophetic potential. But you know what happened? How about the time they realized that potential? Something started rising in their spirit. And they started operating out of human ambition and human ego and human pride. They stepped out of the process. And as they got closer to the destiny, the deeply ingrained character flaw that was neglected by virtue of abandoning the process caused them to fall in the hour of their opportunity. I'm watching it right now. I'm watching a man who was, you know, we let, we let some among, among us make a celebrity of, a young man. I'm watching it right now. I, I'm watching it. And I, I've tried to reach out. I've tried to text him. I know peers that have tried to. He, he won't answer anybody now. You know why? Because we, we, we let people make a celebrity of that man. And now there's pride taking over. Ambitions taking over. And I know you, you look on Instagram. Oh, it looks good. You look on YouTube. It looks good. But I'm telling you what I know by the Holy Ghost. It's not all good. And then again, the story stops. Right about the moment, it's getting good again. And you think, oh man, I've been waiting 12 years to figure out what's been going on. And then nothing. 18 years. Silence. No detail. The narrative offers nothing. And all of a sudden, we find this radical prophet, John the Baptist. He's a voice crying out in the wilderness. Hey, repent! Prepare ye the way of the Lord. There's one coming after me whose shoes I'm not unworthy to, I'm not worthy to unlatch. And I know I'm baptizing you unto repentance. But he who comes after me, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. He's been preaching. He's been getting ready. Now here walks this 30-year-old man up to John on the banks of the Jordan River. John, I need you to baptize me. You? But you're, yeah, me. He wasn't being baptized for the remission of sin, but to fulfill all righteousness. Or if I could say it like this, it was the inauguration of his kingdom. It was his announcement to the world. Now it's time. See, I'm talking to you about process. 
Because all we like is the miracles. We like talking about the blind eye and the deaf ear. We like preaching about Lazarus coming out of the grave. We like preaching about the death, burial, and the resurrection, and rightly so. But in the 30 years that lead us up to this moment, we just get but a couple glimpses. We see a boy in the manger or in his mama's living room. We see this 12-year-old preteen, this young man in the temple. And now we see this 30-year-old man. And what he's saying, his eye and the same person I've always been. But I've been walking through this process and now I've come to make an inauguration and an announcement to you today that I am going to start walking in my majesty. You like to talk about me in the manger and you like to talk about me as a man. But I'm announcing to the world that the king is here. And I tell you, that, that's an exciting season to live in. When God starts blessing and miracles start happening. When you show up at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And they run out of the, out of the wine. Mary says, you know what? That's no problem. My son's here. And you know what he says? It's not yet my time. Well, the fact is, it was his time. Because he had submitted to the process, there was a little caution in his spirit. There was a little check in his humanity because he knew the power that was inside of him. But he wasn't willing to draw on that power for any fleshly purpose or for any selfish ambition. Oh, I know I can do it, but but I'm cautious. I don't want to act on a step and put a little hesitancy in his spirit. But the same submission that restrained him as a 12-year-old boy releases him as a 30-year-old man. And by his word, that water becomes wine. And the glory of the king is on display. I'm talking to you about process. Because there's not a one of you in this room that's not walking through process. And this great church is walking through process. See, I know how this thing works. I know how this works because I've been there. I've walked the road. You start out as four people in the living room, not too many people pay much attention to you. No, no, nobody's real concerned. But, but you move a little bit. You get that little hotel conference room that you're renting. You start to get a few little questions when they see a picture of a couple people in a room. And you start making a little progress. And then you get a little spot that, that you lease. You don't own it, but it's yours. It's got your feel to it. It's got your look to it. You've got a little customization that you do to the space. and It's process. People start looking. People start talking. But here's the reality. They didn't perceive the promise in their midst because of the package God put it in. You raised me up a king at the age of 30. You put a man on the throne with an army at his disposal. That's kind of what they had in mind. But they couldn't perceive that Messiah would come in the form of a crying infant. But he was just as much a king in Mary's arms when he was two years old as he was 33 and a half on that cross. The fact is, Israel missed it because they couldn't perceive the package God put it in. And so I take you back to the statement of my son when we pulled in here today. Well, that, that, that doesn't 
look like a church, Dad. No, I, I know it doesn't look like the kind of church you've become accustomed to in this season of your life. But let me tell you something. I, I said, they, they forget about where we came from. They, they, they forget. He, he don't forget. He, he remembers. In fact, I, we left a church of 400 people to start that church. And I remember, I remember having 10 people in a little meeting room and leaving on a Sunday and saying at dinner, saying, will Carson ever know what it's like to be in an apostolic church service? Because, brother, when there was 10 people in that room, it was so far from what I had come to know. But I'm telling you, by the time we left Halifax, oh, it had happened. It had happened. You show up on a Sunday, they're talking in tongues. They're dressed modestly. They're lifting their hands and they're shouting out to God. They're running the aisles and they're praying out loud and people are being born again. But there's a process to this thing. And I know what we have become inclined to do in our day is because we're following the patterns of this present world. I'm not against a little team. I'm not against a little money. But I watched a clip of a guy the other day. They went to start a church, and uh, they launched. And this was a few years ago, and he was going on about, well, you know, we had 500 people at our launch service. We had $150,000 in the bank. I thought, good, well, I could have gone to the moon with $150,000 when we started the church. I'm not against a few people. Jesus had 12. But he had 12. He didn't have 20 and 30 and 50. Because I'll tell you what happens. It delays the process of maturity. Because there's some things that you've got to grind out in the process. That produces a maturity in the man and in the body. And when you say, well, we're, we're, we're just going to take every John and Sally from every church we can get, and we're going to try to, I'm not against the body giving and having a little blessing here and there. In fact, I'd tell you we need it. But I am telling you that God has ordained this process as the pathway to maturity. And these little glimpses into Jesus' life are divinely chosen by God because they're pivotal moments in the process. You know why we see him at two? Because he's showing you when you get into this thing, you don't have the spiritual ability to do it by yourself. You need somebody who can guide you, who can carry you, who can direct you. And about that point, you get a little maturity, and you start hearing from God for yourself, and you start getting visions and dreams yourself, and there's a little will and ambition and passion that rises in you to want to do it your way. Hey, that dream, you hear me, it is from God. The vision, it is from God, but it's for an appointed time, and the time is not yet. You go look at Galatians 4. You know what Paul said? 4 and 1 and 2. He said, you being an heir, differeth nothing than a servant because you're a child. This is what he's saying. You can have the right name. You can have the right bloodline. But by virtue of your immaturity, you're not qualified to inherit what's rightfully yours. And so the next verse, he goes on and says, so you're set under. You're put 
in a place of submission under tutors and governors until the appointed time of the Father. The appointed time is not a date on the calendar. He's not saying, well, on your 12th birthday, I'm going to give you everything that's yours. When you turn 17, you're going to get everything daddy's been saving for his entire life. No, it has nothing to do with a number. It has everything to do with maturity. That, let me speak plain to you right now. That's why we've got some people, they've sat on Pentecostal pews for decades, and they've not done nothing. They've not produced no fruit, and they're frustrated, and they're weary, and they're discouraged. And you get some new person who shows up, they get baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. They're covered with the marks of sin, but they've got a testimony. And you know what that person does? I said, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I, I don't need pastor to be there to preach to me every day. I'm going to read my Bible on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. I'm going to read on Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast and I'm going to witness and I'm going to be submitted. And by virtue of them giving themselves to the process, they might have only been around this thing for a year. They may be only here two, three, four, five years. But they're becoming so much more gifted and so much more effective than those who've been around for a long time. It's got nothing to do with the number it's got everything to do with the process of maturity would you just lift your hands to the Lord right now I know when the king showed up in a manger, they missed it. They overlooked it because they couldn't perceive the prophetic reality in their midst because the package it came in and the process it took. And so if you're not careful, here's what's going to happen. You make a decision in your present season Based on your present season and not the predetermined end that the prophecy declared. It looks like this. You know, Joseph, I don't know if all this is really worth it. Herod's going to kill all the kids in this city. We're going to have to inconvenience ourselves and pack up everything we have and make our way to Egypt. I, I don't know if all this is really worth it. Is that measure of opposition worth it? And the devil convinces you to throw in the towel. Because you think, well, it's just, it's just a little storefront. It, it's just 75 people. It's just 100 people. It's just this. It's just that. But what this is is not all it will be. Ah, you think I'm fighting hell at every turn. I'm battling on every corner. And after this many years and this many Sundays and this many fasts and this many offerings and this much outreach and this much prayer, this is where we are. Yeah, but it's not where you're always going to be. Yeah, 
And the devil convinces you to judge your future based on your present. In essence, what you are doing is you are neglecting the prophecy. And that, that is precisely what Paul told Timothy. He said, neglect not the gift. Timothy, you've got something. It was, it was given to you by the laying on of hands of the presbytery. It was given to you by the word of prophecy. There was something put in you. The Greek word is emaleo. It literally means to be careless towards. And this was the fault of Mary and Joseph walking home when they left that 12-year-old boy. They weren't bad people. They just got caught up with the cares of life instead of the cares of the child. They weren't bad parents, but they were busy parents. And their way of life caused them to neglect their responsibility and put it on somebody else. And they became careless about the prophetic reality in their life. And so Jesus looks at her, says, don't you know? Hallelujah. You know, you probably had a time or two when as a parent you, you weren't quite towing the line the way you should have on something. And your kid, they didn't mean it as a rebuke, but, but words came out of your child's mouth and kind of pricked your heart. It wasn't your child rebuking you. It was in their innocence, the Lord using the voice of a child. To kind of remind you what, what this is all about and how you ought to be doing this thing, such as happening right here. Oh, oh my goodness, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. But it's not yet. You still got to submit, you still got to grow. Because there's a process to this maturity. And so I'm preaching to you today because you're in the process. There's a lot of you in this room right now. As individuals that are in the first and the third seasons, you, you're you don't you're not quite sure what to make of all this. And what you need is just to surrender your will and let the shepherd guide you. But there's some of you in this room. You made that decision a little while ago. And God's been working in you. And I'm telling you, there's things, gifts, callings, and anointings. They've been working in you for a long time. But the season for those to start to operate and bear fruit is very close. So you've got to know where you are. Because knowing where you are determines... How you choose to live. That two-year-old boy, he's submitted, but he's not submitting because he has a choice. He doesn't even know any different. That 12-year-old boy, he's got to choose to submit. So there's some individuals in this room. You hear me today. There's a process he's walking you through. You know why he's doing it? Because before he ever formed you in the womb of your mother, he had determined what your life would look like. He determined the people you would reach. He put the ability in you. He said, I'm going to put the working of miracles in their life. I'm going to let that person flow in the gift of faith. I'm going to let them be used mightily in the word of knowledge. I'm going to let this one teach Bible studies. They're going to baptize many. 
But the only way you get there is to submit to the process. But I'm not just talking to individuals. I'm talking to this church today. Because this church has been in a process. I really don't know anything about your story. I just know when I got alone in that hotel room this morning, the Lord spoke the word process. And so this is what I'm telling you. I've come today to bring awareness of how God works in where you are. There's a lot of people who might overlook you because this doesn't look like the church they're, they're used to. This doesn't look like the big building down the street. I tell you, there's a lot of people who still make the same mistake Israel made. They live with the spiritual inability to perceive the prophetic reality. Because the package God sent it in. They were looking for someone like Herod. A man with a throne. A man with an army. When the fact is, that's not how this kingdom works. And so I've come to try to open your eyes by the spirit of revelation today to help you understand what is in this house. We talk a lot about God working with churches and networks and regions and organizations. But you hear me. God always works through a man. If you don't like it, you take it up with God. Because when he wanted a people, he called a man named Abram. When he wanted to bring those people out, he called a man named Moses. When he wanted a, a man as a means of preservation, he called a man named Joseph. I could take you from the opening pages of Scripture to the end of the story and tell you this. God always used a man as his means to the people. And I would add to that. You find, you, you find Hagar running from the house, and she finds a well. Well, how in the world that well get there? Well, that well got there because somebody dug it. But you know what? You can dig all day long. You can dig as deep as you want to dig. If God didn't put a spring in that location, all you got is a hole. So that tells me when God created all that is at the foundation of creation, there were places both naturally and spiritually. He ordained, I'm going to put a spring in this earth. Well, I know we, we think we're something now because we got all this technology in 2023. But you don't got to go back but 100 or so, 200 years when civilization would determine where they lived on the basis of those water sources. What am I telling you? I'm telling you that when God starts working, 
what he does is he starts pulling to get a man and a place, a person and a place to come into alignment. Go read your Bible, Genesis chapter 12. It's the first time God ever appeared to a man. When Abram got in the land, the Bible says, and the Lord appeared. I hope this is making sense to you. Because this is what happens. People start seeing a good man like Brother Prada. Preaching all these big meetings. Doing all this big stuff. And then he gets on a plane. And he flies back to the Bay Area. And walks into this little storefront. And they don't understand it. Because they sense the capacity and the gift and the anointing. And then they look at the context it goes back to. And they say, well, you know, you really could be here. And you could be there. And you could be pastoring this. And have this building. And all these people. What they're doing is they're speaking naturally. They're looking logically. They're neglecting the prophetic reality. They're sensing the right capacity. They're feeling the right gifting. But they're neglecting the process. Now, here's what I would tell you. The way God has used him at large is indicative to me of what God has intended locally. But it doesn't just happen overnight. There's a process to this thing. But I've come today to tell you, if you would make up in your mind, I'm going to give myself to the process. You don't have to wait till your 10th anniversary or 15th anniversary or till you've been here 20 years. What it might have taken somebody else 15 years for, you could get next year. And what somebody else waited a few decades for, you could have in a couple of years. But you've got to give yourself to the process. Stand together with me. Here with the Apostle Paul said, being confident of this very thing, that he hath which begun a good work in you will perform it. That means we'll accomplish it until the day of Jesus Christ. Being confident. Now, we're apostolic. We're Pentecostal. I believe in the power of a moment. But I would submit to you today, we're a little bit out of balance in the apostolic movement when it comes to emphasizing the moment and neglecting the process. Yeah, you can get the Holy Ghost in a moment. You can be baptized in a moment. God can heal you in a moment. Moments are powerful. But you're not going to get mature in a moment. And you don't lose your confidence in a moment. You lose your confidence when you're grinding it out in the process. 
So here comes Paul by inspiration of the Holy Ghost and says, Hey, don't lose confidence. Stay confident in what he begun in you. The good work, he's going to accomplish it. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward, for you have need of patience. That's what you need. You don't need delivered from it. You need patience in it. It's the process. It's designed to mature you. Because even though you know what the end of the story looks like, at 12, you're just not mature enough. And it might be a good work, but it's still a hard work. And when the good gets hard, the immaturity manifests. This is my concern with those of us that try to skirt the process. And churches that skirt the process. Israel battled this when they got to a place of sustained blessing. And they built from a paradigm of blessing and not from a paradigm of sacrifice and of trust. It hurt them. Because the process was designed to produce a maturity. So he said, hey, just know this. What you have need of is patience. That after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. So I tell you today, the promise is still intact. He's going to do everything he said he was going to do. Every prophetic word that's ever been spoken, it still speaks now. Every promise that was ever uttered, it is alive right now. What you have need of is not a way of escape. The writer said, in patience, possess ye your souls. You need patience to control yourself. To stay in the process. In fact, I feel a little word right now. Jesus performs a great miracle. And the scripture says, when he perceived that they would take him by force. And make him king. He withdrew himself. And I'm telling you right now. This is happening in the apostolic movement. There's a withdrawing of revelation. From certain people and places. It's not because they've left Acts 2.38. It's not because they've left the oneness of God. It's not because they've neglected holiness. It's because they've neglected an apostolic philosophy of ministry. They're not led of the Spirit. They're not walking in the Spirit. And so the revelation of Word remains present at date. But the revelation of Spirit is withdrawing. Because what they were saying was, I know who you are. And I'm going to try to take you by force and put you on the throne I think you need to be on. And Jesus was saying, wait. You know who I am. You just don't know how I work. So I've got to withdraw myself. Because it's not yet time. And that's not the right way. And I'm telling you, we've got good people. They preach the right doctrine. But we have neglected the reality 
of apostolic philosophies of ministry, of walking in the Spirit, of principles of the Spirit. And so we're seeing a rearranging in the kingdom right now where there's a withdrawing of revelation in some places and there's a bountiful discovery of it in other places. And you have the God-given opportunity to be one of those places because when God spoke this world into existence a few thousand years ago, He knew in 2023 the Bay Area was going to need this. So He said, hey, I'm going to put a spring there at East Bay Bible Fellowship. You don't know it. You don't know it. You, but before it was ever named, but before they were ever here, I'm going to put a spring there. And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to raise up a man. And I'm going to bring a man there. And now we all have the choice. What do we do? I can tell you what you need to do. Because that great church in Halifax, Nova Scotia, yeah, God talked to us. God talked to our other pastors. But it wasn't just us. I can tell you at every stage of incremental growth, when we went from 4 to 15 and 20, and from 20 to 40, and from 40 to 75, when we finally broke the 100 barrier, and then we started hitting 150 consistently, every stage of growth, you know what it was? It was when there were key members of the body that committed themselves to the process of maturity. Because you know what he's going to do? He's going to pray. He's going to get a word from God. He's going to teach Bible studies. He's going to preach the word. And that's the only thing he ought to do. All that other stuff. That's for you. That's for you. You think by But do you know who I am? God called me to preach. Yeah, he called you to preach. And one day you'll preach. But right now, you need to get out of this temple, walk home with mom, and you need to start serving and start building houses in your daddy's business. That's how this happens. I'll tell you this, then I'm done. In 2016, the Lord started dealing with me. For 14 months, I wrestled with it. Then I came to my pastor. I said, I'm not telling you I want to leave. I'm not telling you I'm looking for an opportunity. There's nothing on the table. I'm just telling you I feel from God that I'm not going to be in this city forever. You know what I got welcomed with? The bench. I went from preaching 50% of our services, being up in the altar calls, to doing nothing. I was the associate pastor of the church. I didn't do nothing for 90 days. I got benched for being honest with what God was dealing with me about. But I'll tell you in that press, in the process of submission, God showed me some things that He was still working on. I'd preached around, I'd been pastoring, I'd held positions, but I hadn't yet been made perfect. And almost two years to the day later, I returned from a trip to Europe driving around the city with my pastor at the time. I'd been gone for two weeks, and it was like in those two weeks, God just started downloading the next 15 years of vision into that man. He's telling me all the things he's been dreaming while I was away. We're sitting there, and he says, so tell me, what's in your spirit? And I had come to work that morning knowing I was about to tell him that when I was in Europe the week before, God told me I had to leave. I said, oh, bro, 
There's a law in my spirit right now. And he looked at me and said these words. You're leaving. I said, yeah. And we just broke down crying. Because there was no bad blood. We're very close to this day. Here's my point. The same submission that restrained me almost two years to the day prior. That same submission was what released me two years later. I didn't even have to ask if I could go. God had already bared witness to His Spirit about what He spoke to my spirit. I'm preaching to you a principle that has produced gross growth, growth in my life and in the church we labored in for 10 years. And I'm telling you today, it's where you are right now. And your decision in the process is going to determine whether or not you get to be a part of what the prophecy said the end would look like. This is the process. Lift up your hands. Come on, lift up your hands. Lift up your voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. God, I'm telling the Holy Ghost is calling some individuals in this church to a season of introspection and great personal growth. But I'm telling this local church, you are on the precipice. You are on the verge. You are literally, it's like you're standing in the threshold of a doorway of a new season. And I tell you what this new season will look like. It will cause the face or the image of your church to be very different. New people, new buildings, new stuff, more stuff. But the only way you get there is by giving yourself wholly to the process. Don't neglect it. Don't be frustrated in it. Don't be discouraged. Don't cast away your confidence. Be confident of this very thing. If he began it, he's going to finish it. Come on, let's let's let this whole place be a, a place of prayer right now. You say, I got questions. It's great. It's great that you have questions. That's how you learn. Just ask the question with the right attitude. Ask it from a place of submission. Ask it from a place of honor. Ask it with a desire to grow. That's it. Reach out. Reach out. With your eyes closed and your arms raised, reach out to the Lord right now. Lift up your voice. Come on.
Bible, let a spirit of prayer settle in this house. God's intention for you is so far beyond where you are right now. But you've got to submit to the process. You've got to be obedient to the Word. just for one minute before they sing. If you're here today and you really feel the Spirit pulling on your heart, talking to you, it could be because you've never been baptized in Jesus' name. It could be because you have never received the Holy Ghost. Or maybe you've been around here for a few years. You've got this down, but you know there's some areas of maturity that God's working on you. We're casting a wide net right now. But I'm telling you, I remember moments like this. I I remember being in the hotel one Sunday, burned in my mind. Standing there on the altar, the Lord gave me a vision of an old, old ship from like the 16th century, the old sailboats. And it was leaving the harbor. Our city was a harbor city, just like this. A lot of similarities. Old city on a hill, right in the ocean, just the opposite coast. God gave me a vision of an old boat leaving the harbor. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, there's something setting free from this church today. And any of those who were not on this boat, he said, they're not going to make the transition. I remember sharing it. Didn't really look a lot different for a little while. All the same people started coming to church. They were there every week. It was only a few months after that, God gave us that building and we moved into that sanctuary. And sure enough, as we made the transition into that sanctuary, there was a whole host of people that used to come to that hotel that just disappeared. Because here's what you have to understand. We prophesy in part. But the prophecy comes as an indication of what is coming, so it's your invitation to prepare. And whether you prepare or not determines if you make the transition. I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost right now. This church, it, it's, like, it's like the woman in 2 Kings 4. She was without child. And the Bible, she's in a prophetic atmosphere. She's standing before the prophet. The Bible says she's standing in the threshold of the doorway. See, we, we read this stuff and buy in the Bible. We don't really consider. What is it to stand in the threshold? It's a place of in-between. I'm not in the room I was in. I'm not yet in the room I'm going to. So her physical position was a clear picture of where she was in the spirit. Because she lived a life with no child, and she was about to be found with child. So where she is naturally is a picture of what's about to happen spiritually. And I'm telling you, this church is on the threshold right now. There's a transition. In those transitions, the image of the church changes. Why not? Everyone, we we got used to what it looked like when he was a two-year-old boy in Mary's room. We got used to what it looked like at that 12-year-old. We, no. 
You see, the perception people develop of the house comes from moments. But the entirety of the image comes from the process. And you have been in a process. But I'm telling you today, there is a moment coming. And if you don't commit yourself wholly to the process, you'll miss that moment. And when that moment comes, you're going to look at your life and you're going to look at East Bay Bible Fellowship. Just like we look at the story. He looked a lot different at 12 than he did at 2. And he looked a lot different at 30 than he did at 12. And there is a moment coming to this church that's going to cause you to look back and say, Wait, we look a lot different now than we did last summer. And we look a lot different now than we did at our last anniversary. But you miss the moment if you neglect the process. So I tell you today. If you just kind of feel the Spirit pulling on you, whether it's to be obedient to the biblical plan of salvation, or it's to become more disciplined in your Bible reading, or to, to fast more, or to serve in the church, I'm just asking you, if you feel the Spirit pulling on you, would you just kind of step out of your seat and press your way to the front? Here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, we're going to lift our hands. Now, I've been in countries all over the world, English, non-English, wealthy countries, poor countries. And the, the beauty of this thing is this, this means pretty much the same thing everywhere. You know why it means the same thing? This. It's because it's two things. One, it's an act of celebration. The even deeper meaning is it puts you in a posture of vulnerability. When that guy walks in with a gun and points at you, what are you doing? You're letting them know, I'm more vulnerable. I'm not going to do it. Now we're going to do this in our body, but what God needs you to do is do this in your spirit. We're going to lift our hands, but if, if you lift your hands in body, but you keep your spirit closed, you're not going to get nothing. But if you will lift your hands in body as a sign of what you're really doing in spirit, the Holy Ghost is going to fall on you right now. For some of you, it, it may unlock giftings. It may birth calling. It may fill you with the spirit if you've never been born again. For, for some of you, it may bring a miracle in your body right now. It, it may give peace to your mind that you've not had for months. I, I'm just telling you, the glory of the Lord is going to fill the house. But you've got to be vulnerable to receive it. Would you lift up your hands? Lord Jesus, right now, every foul thing that comes from the prince of darkness, I command it to be broken right now. Everything that wars against our mind, that seeks to cloud the atmosphere of our homes, our marriages, and our families, I take authority right now in the name of Jesus Christ. I command every influence of darkness to be broken. And I pray the Spirit of God would fall upon every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. Let the glory of the Lord fill this house. Let it consume.
miracles right now. Let it birth ministry right now. Let it birth gifts and callings right now. That's it, that's it. Just linger in his presence. Tarry in his presence. Stay in the process. Let the Spirit work in you. Let the Spirit speak through you.
collectively as a church, let's lift our hands right now. Hallelujah. Let's submit ourselves to the moving of God's Spirit right now. Not just in this moment, but in the process of our maturity. We're not just praying for right here, right now. Right now we're praying for everything that's going to take place as we walk out of these doors. Right now we're praying about the next year, two years, three years. Right now we're praying about indefinite times and seasons. Right now we're praying, God, do what you want. Take as long as you want. Have your will in my life. In the name of Jesus, have your way in my heart. Have your way in my life. Have your way in my mind. Have your way in my spirit. Have your way in my marriage, in my children, in my family, in my ministry. Have your way. God, in this trial, help me to learn what I got to learn. In this silence, help me to learn what I have to learn. In this brokenness, help me to learn what I have to learn. Oh, Jesus, in this setback, in this holdup, help me to learn what I got to learn. In the name of Jesus, open my ears, open my eyes, open my heart. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. I'm only going to say this because I need to say this, but um, Brother McLeod and myself have not been talking on the phone. Um, uh, in fact, um, I had told, I was speaking with Brother Poe, I told him, I said, well, we're going to have Brother McLeod preaching for us. He said, man, that's so weird. It was the day we baptized his father. He said, man, that's so weird. I had a dream the other night, and I heard his name in my mind. And then uh, I called Brother McLeod, and he said, I think it was his grandmother. Was it your grandmother? His great-grandmother. He's like, you know, Brother Prado. He's like, you guys are in Alameda. I was like, yeah, it's kind of. I started telling him where Alameda was. He was like, no, no, no. He said, my, my great-grandmother was born in Alameda. I know where Alameda is. Praise God. He said, then we moved to Canada. Praise God. And we're back in the States. But when I tell you that this word today is a word from God, and I'm going to tell this church something. Uh, I've been personally going through a trial, and I just kind of reached my wit's end this morning, and uh, I called a, a man of God a prophet. And he said, Brother Prado, let's pray. And so we started praying. And he said, Brother Prado, he said, I saw that you had two snakes grabbed by the neck in your left hand. He said, and one of the snakes popped up and it said, if you'll just agree with me, I'll leave you alone. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you're not submitting to your role as a pastor because you keep capitulating to people who threaten their commitment and their loyalty to this church if you cross them. And I'm not afraid to tell you that I have done my very dead level best to pastor people here with respect and dignity and great care. But I've made a small mistake. And that's not asserting myself to the degree that I should. If you ever hear me start a sentence with, I am talking to you as your pastor, 
just know it's serious. And you're going to go through a trial until you learn what that means. Because I've gone out of my way. Amen. I said over the pulpit every day. I said it this morning. I said it this morning. We're not preaching control. We're preaching competence. But if you're going to be a competent individual, it's going to be because you understand that leadership is not, is not optional. It's a necessity. And you and I will be judged in the fact that when the person who is our manager at McDonald's or at our Fortune 500 company told us what to do, we gladly did it. But then we come to church and we get touchy. We get touchy. And we get, we get defiant. We get defiant. We have to stop that. We have to stop that. I'm, some, somebody might be wondering, well, who's pastor submitted to? I'm submitted to several people. Submitted to several people. I'm submitted to some people. Amen. We have a church board. I'm submitted to the church board. I have elders. I, I have more layers. I have more layers of people I'm accountable to than you can even imagine. Praise God. And so we all have to be submitted. I, I have been preaching this gospel for over 20 years. I have preached in little churches, big churches, thousands, conferences. I've preached overseas. I've preached everywhere you can imagine. And I'm just going to tell you, there's a lot of people that exude energy that say, you know what, I'm here, but if you just do one or two things that I'm, I'm not okay with, we're done here. You can't live for God that way. Because there's just going to be days things happen. There's going to be days you get benched. There's going to be days we have to talk some things out. There's going to be days you have to be corrected. It happens to me. It happens to me. But those are the moments that we have to really pay close attention to. Because while it may not seem like it, those are promotion moments. Those are actually moments where God says, you know, if I can trust you right here, if you can endure this process right here, we're going forward with things. We're going forward with things. Can you shout amen? I think God is a good God, and I'm so thankful today for the word of the Lord. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. Somebody say, I love Jesus. Somebody give the Lord one more good hand clap. I still feel good in the house. Hey, you don't want to miss Tuesday night. It's going to be really good. Praise God. And uh, we received all of this, Brother McLeod. Trust me. If we were, if we were a little quiet on you, it's because we were chewing. Praise God. We chew around here. Praise God. 